Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. It is time to rise and shine. It is Thursday, the 11th of May, 2023. I'm Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. Um, And right now, just so Paul is aware, my computer says that it has no internet available. But, you know, the good news is we're still talking. So um, Psalm 31, 14, and 15 is your growing your faith verse of the day. Um. Where in the word are you today? And where in you is the word? I want you to think about both of those questions. Where in the word are you today? And where in you is the word? Why bring this up? Well, because Psalm 31, uh, which we have in view today as uh, our Growing Your Faith verses of the day, um, Psalm 31 is one of several acrostic poems in the Hebrew scriptures. Um, And so when you think about an acrostic, you are thinking there about something that maybe spells a word, or in this case, an alphabet. Acrostic poems, in this case, teach the alphabet. These acrostic psalms are designed to teach children the Hebrew alphabet. So each stanza begins with the successive letter, in this case, of the Hebrew alphabet. So you think A, B, C, D, E, F, G, in the Hebrew mind, Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalet, He, Vav, Zion, Chet, Tet, Yod, Kaf, Lamed, Mem, Nun, Samach, Ein, Pe, Sade, Kof, Resh, Sin, Shin, Ta. Like, right? Visually, a child could see those letters at the beginning of the first word of each verse and therefore learn their ABCs or their Aleph Beit Gimels, as the case may be. So Psalm 119 is probably the most complete of all of these acrostic psalms, but Psalm 25, 34, 37, uh, 112, 145, as well as like Proverbs 31, 10 to 31, also a Hebrew acrostic designed to teach the Hebrew alphabet to children. Lamentations 1 through 4, designed in the same way. These are the Hebrew version of A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Now we learn our ABCs, or, you know, Aleph, Beit, Gimels. So, while the content of, let's say, Psalm 37, verses 14 and 15, absolutely um, worthy of our consideration today, But I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, um, from those who pursue me. While consideration of the content is absolutely important, the form of Psalm 37 is actually what's designed to be instructive. Like, how do you learn, really learn, how do you learn to the point of memorization the scriptures? 
I mean, do you have a method? Have you committed long passages to memory or even a few verses? It is true that the only Bible you truly own is the one written on your heart. Hebrews 31, or uh, Jeremiah 31, 33, um, which is repeated uh, in its entirety in Hebrews 8, verse 11, is this declaration of God. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. They will be my people and I will be their God. Is God's word written on your heart? Engraved in your mind? Maybe it's time for us to invest ourselves like little children in learning our ABCs and committing portions of God's word to memory. Where in the word are you today? And where in you is the word? Our friend Ben Johnson is going to join us next. We're going to uh, we're going to talk about a number of things going on in the culture, um, not least of which the return or the restoration of genuine discourse to college campuses. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Our friend Ben Johnson is back. You can find what Ben is writing at WashingtonStand.com. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, Carmen. So what difference does it make um, if if a church disappears from a community, um, or in this case, if after more than 200 years, the Sisters of Charity in New York, who nursed Civil War casualties and um, have done good work for orphans and um, children since then um, runs its course, and, and there are no longer people willing to do those things. Well, it obviously makes a big difference to the people receiving that care. Uh, and this is a heartbreaking story. A, a group that has been in the news for a long time, a lot of people would know their name, the uh, the uh, Sisters of the Charity, uh, have, have uh, been around, as you say, since the Civil War, actually since 1817. Uh, founded by Elizabeth Ann Seton, who's a, a Roman Catholic saint, and their job is to prepare uh, and to care for people who are poor and needy and uh, who are ill. So that is that's their particular gift. Every every order in the Catholic Church has kind of a, a specific area that they focus on. Theirs is physical service to people who are in great need. So uh, they were they were around before Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa obviously kind of took it to the next level in India, but they do the very same thing on our own streets and in our own hospitals. So they care for the the aged, those who are ill, and for the very young as well. Uh, they they have at one point uh, had had uh, thousands of nuns. Now they're down to 154, and the average age is 85. So what they've said is they are no longer going to receive new members. And they said, in in their own terms, they are on a, quote, path to completion, meaning that they are not going to, uh, they're, they're not going to receive any new members from this point forward, and eventually the last one is going to die and the order is going to close. So the people who uh, receive those physical uh, 
benefits from from being ministered to tended to the psychological benefit of having someone check in on you someone who really loves you and cares for you and is praying for you and tells you every day that you're important to them and to god all of that is going to disappear and it inflicts a very deep wound on society when they or any church disappears so um globally there is this this trend um, Catholic nuns, I mean, in, in terms of new people joining religious orders, particularly um, women, that has been in decline um, for a long period of time. Um, and it's reached the point now where, you know, particular expressions of these orders are unsustainable. Now, I will say that in other places, um, you know, there there is a robust um, – group of women um i mean i know of a particular cloister here in the city that i live that you know it's like bursting at the seams with young women so there must be an attraction to um living this ordered life in a particular way um maybe you know they're also you know the location is challenging maybe new york city is not the place that um that young women who want to live a cloistered life you know are are being drawn to as well you know i, I don't know god calls people in at particular times and in particular places in particular ways. And so um, it's interesting to me to follow this story, especially because, Ben, I mean, once this ministry is no longer present in in New York City, um, someone else is going to have to do what these women have been doing, um, and they're going to begin doing it at a cost to the city, um, something that has been paid for you know, by charitable contributions to the Sisters of Charity. Well, that's right. the The cost always ends up redounding to society. You, you, but uh, it, I would just challenge a little bit of what you say. Someone is going to provide the physical aspects of what they do, but uh, mm. you can't pay someone to love someone, mm. and that's the part that I'm afraid is going to disappear. Is this ministerial aspect, the part of someone conveying God's love? And so, uh, you know, society can always tries to imitate what the church should be doing. Uh, it it can tend to the to the body, but it cannot feed the soul. And so, we end up impoverished as a result of this uh, across the board because we won't have people who are hearing words like "God loves you," "I love you," uh, and "I am here for you." And people will lack that dimension, which is so important for healing, uh, especially those who are uh, in desperate circumstances. They need to hear that. And hope can be the uh, the greatest healing, as we know. A merry heart doeth like a good medicine. Uh, so that's that's something that uh, simply cannot be uh, cannot be replaced. But society tries its very best, and that will come at a cost, as you say. Where this has been provided for free, now it will come at a cost. And our our disengaged society is is creating more and more of these uh, issues as it flees religion. People become more socially isolated. In fact, the uh, the Attorney General just released a report on the fact that lower church membership is leading to an increase in social isolation. It's leading people to an increase in, in his words, of, of heart attacks and severe diseases because people are no longer meeting up. And uh, when we become isolated, he said it's it's like smoking 15 cigarettes a day, the, the mm. physical health impact of being isolated from one another. So these these women were making sure that uh, when people were in one of the most isolated times of their lives in a severe illness, someone was there telling you, God is with you and other people care for you. Now, that aspect of it is going to disappear, although we may end up 
hopefully at least getting them the kind of care that they need in a in a health environment uh they won't necessarily get the health or the gospel needs that uh, that would feed their mind and their soul Ben, let's take a brief break, and then um, when we come back, um, let's do let's quickly do the good news story about the return or the restoration of genuine discourse to college campuses. But before we talk about um, President Biden boiling the religious liberty frog, how's that sound? Mm-hmm. I don't let's really do want frog soup, but there you but there you go. All right, um, is your frog boiling? <clears throat> I don't even know what that smells like. We'll be right back. As we consider the life of Jesus and the life of the first generation of Christians, reading here the book of Acts and all the letters to the Christians in the New Testament, we see people who like wake up. They come to see and understand and then receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And it changes everything. We see Christians then telling other people about the good news and inviting them to respond in repentance, be baptized, and follow Jesus. The movement of Christianity grows person by person and then exponentially as people walking in darkness receive the light of Christ and want others to know what they know and have what they have. Well, you and I are living in dark days. People need light. And Jesus is the light of the world today in the same way that he was the light of the world at the beginning of creation and at the first Christmas and throughout his life on earth and in his radiance now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the light of the world. So if you're walking in darkness of any kind today, I invite you to consider Jesus. If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. Continuing our conversation with Ben Johnson. He's the rights writer. You can read what he's writing at WashingtonStand.com. Um, ben, you and I like to, um, we like to talk about things. Sometimes we disagree, but we always, um, you know, we, we try to always have conversations that are civil. Let's talk about the, um, the return of civil discourse to university campuses. First of all, the fact that it was not okay to talk on university campuses um, in any way that disagreed with anybody else is ludicrous, but the reintroduction of civil discourse is a good thing. Yeah, this article in the Washington Post is one of the most encouraging things I've read in a very long time when it comes to civil discourse. Uh, you, you, you and I, as as uh, people who've been involved in radio and as, as uh, Christians who are involved in public discourse, we were always taught that the most important thing is to meet someone, to understand what they say, and uh, to engage with them in a in a fact based reason and faith based discourse, uh, to try and reach to them, reach them reason and reach their mind and their heart, and uh, and one of us will uh, will come out may the better argument win. That's the way that Western civilization has progressed for for thousands of years, and as you say, on campuses for the longest time, there was the understanding that. Uh, speech is violence, that if someone is saying something that disagrees with you, they're inflicting some kind of real harm on you, and therefore they shouldn't be able to do it. That's going away at least in a couple of places. Princeton University, American University, and uh, a, a couple of others are named in the article as well, but uh, they are introducing free speech modules uh, where in American University they have what they call disagree with a professor uh, moments where a professor will come in, will say something, and will invite 
these students to dialogue with with that professor back and forth on the topic and it's it's as the prophet isaiah says come let us reason together uh, and and so they discourse about these ideas the uh, the way that the university was set up to do in the very first place in princeton and uh, mit and a few others they teach about the importance of free speech and i was so encouraged by the uh, the president of uh, princeton uh, Kristen Eisgruber, who said that uh, free speech and inclusivity are often presented as contending values, as though we had to choose one or the other, but democracy requires both, and so does education. So that's th this idea that uh, it's possible to have an education without understanding the full scope and uh, the full uh, import of the argument that's being made, uh, without understanding the other side of the argument, uh, is ends up giving us a one-sided, one-dimensional, very hollow understanding of the issue. And uh, that kind of brittleness can't stand up to uh, any kind of real historical scrutiny. It can't, uh, it can't stand up when uh, reality asserts itself and it comes from a direction that we didn't anticipate because we didn't even know that argument existed. So um, this quote from the chancellor of Vanderbilt University stood out to me as well. Um, uh, Daniel Meyer described what he sees on campuses now as a sort of ru rush to righteousness, people immediately taking a position of good versus evil, no longer listening to anyone on the other side. It's essential, he said, to create a culture of free expression in which faculty and students can engage with complex topics and take their ideas as far as possible. Here's um, my continuing concern. <clears throat> in every single one of these environments that are um, addressed in this particular article in the Washington Post, which, like you, I find very encouraging, um, most of these college campuses that are listed here have been virtually sanitized of any actual Christian students and any genuinely conservative students. So True. they're going to learn to talk from the extreme left maybe to the middle, but uh, the they are not going to hear um, robust dialogue from um, from very many people on their campus who would hold the values that you and I um, hold. You're, you're they're absolutely just not, right. They're just not that. there. No, that, that the ideological spectrum doesn't extend as far as, as uh, the Bible. Let's say it that way. Yeah. Uh, on yeah. campus, you're absolutely right about that. And the only the only way that we can truly heal as a as a society is to include everyone and to at least understand the principles of what it takes to make uh, a a reason based discussion. Uh, so I, I think that they're going for that. However, as you say, uh, it will still be understood within those those parameters on a secular university that Christianity or any any place uh, to the right of uh, of maybe the uh, the middle of the uh, spectrum uh, is is essentially outside of the bounds of proper discourse. That that concerns me as well. Uh, I'm, I'm a free speech absolutist. I believe that everyone should be able to speak and say whatever it is that they wish in terms of a political argument, and then we reason and and did take that argument apart piece by piece, and the best argument will always come out. Um, Rather than that rush to righteousness, which uh, you, you point out so well, I, I thought that that was such a, res a resonant phrase, people are rushing to take a position that they believe puts them on the side of the angels. Uh, and, and so they understand that if they take the right position, they're in the right place. And they understand the motivation that's coming from the other side. Uh, genuine Western discourse has always said, I don't even understand the argument made by the other side. 
The first mm-hmm. place is I have to hear their argument and ask them to restate it. And, and I try to put it in their own words to see if I even understand what they're saying and get it correct. So the, the first part is when someone makes an argument, you restate it in your own understanding and say, do I understand you correctly? And if you do, then you proceed with why you disagree. But you know, the first thing is to respect them enough to say that you want to understand what they're saying. And uh, so that's that's disappeared. Uh, we do need to have this uh, this broad-based understanding that everyone can speak, and uh, particularly for those of us who are excluded from the discourse, to not be afraid to enter and bring up the name of Jesus Christ, to bring the gospel and the values that uh, it is embodying into every sector, whether it's on campus or uh, in our personal lives, in our relationships, to bring all of that to bear. Uh, and hopefully, uh, at least these sessions will teach people the principles of what it means to have a reasoned discourse. And then we can educate them a bit further and say, actually, the political spectrum and the history of our country goes even further. Uh, it, In fact, it points in a particular direction when it comes to certain issues. It's not right. It's not left. It's Christian. All right. You and I do not um, have a lot of time, but a couple of minutes here. Let's uh, let's definitely cover this piece that we have read in the Wall Street Journal. Biden boils the religious liberty frog. A series of innocuous sounding regulations conceal an affront to the American faithful. Hey, if you guys want the link to this, I'll shoot I'll shoot it to you. Um, just text me eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. What's going on here? Well, this is part of the uh, Biden administration's uh, actions. These all come from the regulatory states, so they don't have to go through Congress. He simply rewrites the Federal Register, and uh, they can take effect within thirty to ninety days, depending on the way that they're written. Uh, so the Education Department has rescinded the Religious Liberty and Free Inquiry Rule, which says that. Uh, Campuses and uh, academic universities can't target student organizations, and if they do, they lose part of their federal funding. He wants to rescind that live that leverage. Uh, he has also taken out uh, two different regulations, uh, particularly through uh, the HHS, which uh, is trying to force faith-based hospitals and healthcare providers to perform abortion or gender transition surgeries, even if it violates their faith. Uh, and he's doing this again by federal regulation, so it does not have to go through Congress. It's not really subject to uh, a debate except for comments on those federal rules. Uh, where where it ends up coming up for debate is in courts. We hope that these sorts of religious restricting measures will be struck down or that Congress can invoke its right to overrule it through the Congressional Review Act. But that's uh, that's essentially what, what is happening is it's a top-down uh, effort to uh, curtail religious expression in the public sphere. So it's something that uh, this article and uh, that this program has very uh, gratefully brought to our attention. Hey, if you guys, again, want the link to um, to that article or anything that Ben and I discussed today, shoot me a text, 877-933-2484. I'm particularly um, concerned about this uh, series of rules changes at the um, administrative level of our government, um, and they are all designed to restrict religious liberty or, or religious freedom or religious expression um, by those of us who, uh, I don't know, take a biblical or conservative view of things in the culture. Ben, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for a great discussion. Yeah, likewise. That's Ben Johnson. He's the rights writer. He's a senior reporter and editor 
at WashingtonStand.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. Let's go upwards with Max Lucado. Um, all right. Yeah. Again, if you want that link to the article about the change in federal regulations related to religious liberty, um, I'm happy to send that to you. Just text me 877-933-2484 and I will shoot that link right back to you. It is at the Wall Street Journal. So you get a you get a certain number of, of free articles there before you hit the paywall. And I can't do anything about the paywall. And I'm sorry about that. Um all right, so um, I had an experience recently uh, while traveling, and it, God brought it to mind this morning, and I wanted to share it with you before Kathy Brenzel joins to share some glory stories from the National Day of Prayer. So I was doing what I always do uh, when I travel and I have a meal in a you know in a restaurant in um, in the airport. So you know how close you're sitting, right? Like it's it's almost as close as you're sitting to people on an airplane um, when you're in an in a airport restaurant you're either at you know like a like a high bar and you know you're literally sitting like thigh to thigh with the people on either side of you or you're sitting at a tiny little two-top table where you know you have to turn sideways to pass between them I mean right so okay so um you know I'm I'm taken to a two-top table I'm obviously only sitting on one side of that um the person at the table next to me is sitting on the other side of their table so it's almost like we're at the same table like catty corner from each other, you, you can visualize this, right? So I catch that person's eye. Um, I offer a casual greeting. Um, ordinarily, that's as far as an interaction goes, right? I mean, occasionally you get to have a nice day when they have to get up and squeeze between those two tables and you sort of have to lean the other way to allow them through. But rarely does anyone in this environment ever like say anything <laughs> to each other, certainly not start a meaningful conversation. So this time was different. This falls into the category of living with the expectation that God's going to set a divine appointment that you could have never set and sort of expecting always the unexpected, being ready to offer an explanation for the hope that's in you um, and to do so in any environment at any moment. So I um, had been seated, watered, I'd ordered my food, um, and the person at the table next to me reached across their table for something. And when they did that, they knocked their phone to the floor. Now, Again, because we're sitting so uncomfortably close to one another, it was actually easier for me to pick it up than for them to wiggle through the middle of the tables and then, I don't know, somehow get down in the, in, in the aisle that's available and get their phone from underneath the table that we were kind of sharing. So I picked up the phone and I handed it back to them and they said, thank you. And that was that. We each returned to the, you know, illusion of a private space <laughs> that you have at a two top table, like inches from each other. Um, which, as I think about, seems like very strange. But anyway, um, my food arrived, and I then did what I always do. This part you can anticipate. I bowed my head to pray. Now, I got to tell you, I don't really think in advance about praying. I just pray. Um, I can't actually tell you how long I prayed, because I just pray. And while I'm fairly certain that I prayed silently... I can't say that for sure either. Like, I I just pray. It's an act that I consider private, but I also recognize it's happening in a very public place. And I know it's a form of public witness. But I'm that's not what my attention's on. I'm just praying. I'm not consciously 
thinking about where I'm praying or who might be watching me pray, whatever. So anyway, I said amen. I turned my attention to the food that is now before me. And that's when this person who is, you know, cat, you know, catty corner from me says, excuse me. And I made eye contact with her and said, uh, and then she said, why do you do that? And I'm like shuffling through a number of options. Why do I put my napkin on my lap? Why do I use a fork? Um, why do I sit the way I'm sitting? I mean, what? And then I'm like, oh, why do I pray? So I said, why do I pray? Yeah, why do you do that? What exactly are you doing? And she was curious, but also a little hostile. I confess that the directness and clarity of her question was surprising and refreshing. Um, so we're going to talk with Kathy Brenzel. And then after my conversation with Kathy, I'm going to tell you the rest of this story. But I want, you to, I want you to think about this question for a moment. Like, how would you respond to a person in this environment after you've prayed, actually saying to you, like, why do you do that? What are you doing and why do you do that? We're going to get some glory stories from the National Day of Prayer up next with Kathy Branzell. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Kathy Branzell is joining us now with some glory stories from the National Day of Prayer. Kathy, good morning. Good morning, friend. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Um, all right. So um, so we have people on the text line asking for the rest of the story. Are you interested in yeah. hearing the rest of the story? Now? Okay. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, quick recap. I'm in the airport. I have sat down for a meal. My meal has arrived. I have prayed over it, as I always do. And when I opened my eyes and put my napkin in my lap, the yeah. catty corner person said, "What? What? why do you do that? <clears throat> and right. so, all right. So I confess that the directness and the clarity of her question was like surprising and refreshing. And I thanked her. So I said, well, first of all, thanks for asking. Like, I'm a right. curious person. I actually ask people questions like as a part of my job. So I appreciate your curiosity and the courage that it takes to ask. And so I said, I really feel like, you know, you've asked two questions. Why do I pray? And what exactly am I doing when I pray? So I said, I, the, I'm going to take that second question first, because when I pray, I just talk to God, sometimes out loud, sometimes silently, but I'm just talking to God like I'm talking to you right now. And um, so what did I just do? I thanked God for the food. I thanked God for the person who made it and the person who brought it to me. I thanked God for the people that I've been with the last few days and for the people um, who I'm, uh, you know, who've been waiting for me at home. I asked God for his mercy as I get on this airplane. Um, I asked God to bless this food to the nourishment of my body and me to his service. Like I always pray that over a mirror. So that's what I did when I prayed. And then I paused, Kathy, So, because I'm thinking, like, it's possible this person could be like, okay, thanks, and, like, return to their phone or, you know, dismiss me in right. some other way. But she right. she just kept looking at me. So I'm like, okay, clearly she wants the other answer. So I said, okay, so why do I pray? And I paused because I'm like, I think that that's a good question. Like, I didn't say that's a good question, but I'm thinking to myself, that's a good question. So what came to mind in the moment was I pray because I was taught to pray. So I said, well, when I was little, my parents prayed with me um, and my sister before dinner every night and before bed every night. 
Um, and I still remember those prayers. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Right. If I should die before right. I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And I said that to her. I mean, like, I'm because I'm thinking, Kathy, maybe she doesn't actually know what people say when they pray. So I'm going to give her a couple of examples here. And so, um, and then I said, okay, so that's what we would pray over a meal. And then, um, um, or that's the one I would pray before I went to bed. And then at dinner, everybody around the table holds hands. And one of my parents would remind us of like where our food had come from and who was involved in all of that. And, you know, to be genuinely thankful. And then we'd, we'd say together, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands, we all are fed. Give us, Lord, this day our daily bread. Amen. And so I said, so I think I pray because I was taught to pray, but I also pray because I need to remind myself where this comes from, pointing to my food, and um, that God is the source of every blessing in my life. And I also pray because there are just lots of things in in life that are out of my control, but nothing's yes. out of God's control. So that's right. when I paused again. And um, she goes, hmm, interesting. Thanks. Enjoy your lunch. <laughs> And that was it. She, she, she right. put her headphones. I know. Like, she probably no, thought I'm, about it. She's probably still I hope, thinking about it. I hope so. I hope so. Anyway, so um, my encouragement, if you're listening today, is, you know, be prepared to, like, share. Um, but then also right. be prepared to stop talking because, you know, people maybe only are interested in the answer to their question. So there you right. go. That's right. the end of the story. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I Kathy, love it. Be- you did exactly, you know, you answered her question. You didn't turn it into a lecture and, and you said it with kindness. And so she received it in her heart as well as her mind. I'm not saying she received Jesus in her heart, but she was like, oh, wow, this really means something. She's, you know, this, this uh, prayer is significant in this person's life. And she's grateful. You know, a, a one thing that believers and non-believers can agree on is the power of being grateful. And I know that's what we want to talk about today. We are grateful for every prayer that happened um, and all the, the glory stories coming in for National Day of Prayer. But um, I, I, I hope everybody was taking notes. That was terrific because you <laughs> expressed that we need to be grateful, that we have a creator, that we have a creator that loves us and is um, the source and, and that there's so much in life we don't control, but we can talk to God about it. I, I bet you she's still thinking about it. Good job. I hope I hope so. I hope so. Um, glory stories from the National Day of Prayer. You, you're always loaded up with them, so we want to hear them. <laughs> I am. So I'm I'm going to clump, you know, clump them in into groups because the we are so grateful. We we've always been intentional about giving the gospel um, at at uh, uh, every gathering that we can get a pastor. Um, at or anybody that's willing to get up and share the gospel and and pray. And we just had this beautiful number of people that gave their life to Christ this year, that 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 was the number one glory story. And we're out there trying to depopulate hell Mm. um, as we mobilize unified public prayer for America. And, and so we are grateful for, for that first and foremost, that not just somebody's life was changed for a day, but for forever. Um, and to, to walk out the divine destiny for people to profess Jesus Christ now as their Lord and Savior going forward. And, um, and it just reminds us that we're disciple makers, that um, uh, what we do on the National Day of Prayer, we 
are called to do every day. We pray every day. NDP 365, you know, is really what we say. And that the first Thursday of May is a celebration and culmination of what we do throughout the year, 364 other days. Um, But I really want to encourage everyone uh, because story after story after story, and it happened in Washington, D.C., is we, um, on Wednesday night, we have a prepare and prayer dinner at the Museum of the Bible, and we pray over the people who will be praying at the Capitol on Thursday. And um, as we did that, um, this man was just weeping, this this very influential person, um, and, and he said the words that we hear over and over again, no one's ever prayed for me like that. Mm. Well, you know, we when we did our Pray for America bus tour, we heard pastors say, no one's ever prayed out loud for me before. And you're thinking, what? And so that if, if you don't hear anything else from me today, I want to encourage everyone to pray for people um, as often as possible. It's almost like eulogizing them. It's what the Jews do on Shabbat, you know, um, every week is they they're blessing they're speaking a blessing over their friends and family and saying here's what i see god doing in your life here's how thankful i am that you're in mine um and and a blessing for a thankfulness for today and yesterday and and um prayers and petitions for the future and to hear people say over and over again no one's ever prayed for me um is a powerful message for us to get out there and to be praying for people. We heard about hard hearts of various people who showed up because there was an expectation that they would show up or there would be great criticism of them if they didn't show up in their community at these gatherings and that their hearts just melted um, in the form of tears running down their face as people lovingly prayed over them. Mm. So good. As um, as Kathy's talking, I'm wondering um, as you're listening, who's who God is bringing to mind, mm-hmm. and let's be praying um, for those individuals, and then let's reach out to them and say, uh, you know, just specifically maybe in a text message to say, hey, the Lord brought you to mind. How can I be praying for you today? Yes. Um, and then um, when they respond, like call them and pray for them because there are a lot of people who have never heard their name lifted before the Lord. Um, even if we've been praying for them silently behind the scenes, like they've never heard someone pray for them by name. And so let's be doing that today. We're going to return in just a moment. Kathy is going to continue not only sharing glory stories from the National Day of Prayer, but certainly encourage us to continue to pray 365 days a year, not only for our nation, but um, for, for people. And so that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. 
for continuing our conversation with Kathy Branzell. She heads up the National Day of Prayer Task Force. You can find um, the National Day of Prayer resources and information and glory stories and Kathy at nationaldayofprayer.org. Um, more glory stories, please, and an invitation to um, continue to pray. Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll just entwine those. So lots of glory stories about our younger brothers and sisters, <laughs> children, participating in these prayer gatherings. Uh, you know, we even had school districts um, that proclaimed that that just made it very clear even a month out that their school district would be participating in the National Day of Prayer, you know, reminding people that it's a law that the if the president of the United States proclaims a day of prayer for the nation, um, and if the governor proclaims a day of prayer in their state, then certainly it's legal, right? And so um, we were excited to see children uh, praying at their school. We were excited to see students praying uh, with their peers. And, um, and so it goes back to what you were saying about Hey, you know, my family, we used to pray together. My parents taught me to pray. Um, prayer is caught by praying with other people. And so I know we've said this before, but I want to say it again um, over and over. It's about to be summertime and uh, you'll have more time, hopefully, with uh, your family in various places. You can do this in the car. It doesn't have to be around the dinner table, but, we, you know, we pray for people not places. Uh, I know we we talk about praying over the seven centers of influence, but that just gives us a scope of um, the people who serve and live uh, in in our neighborhood, in our community, and that those are the people we're praying for. So that that wonderful children's prayer that adults still say, you know, God is great, God is good, and we thank Him for our food. Right there. So just pause in in conversation and go, how is God great? Because then you're teaching them to praise. How is God great? And and bring those things up. How is God good? And and what do we think him for besides our food? Um, Another thing is talking about the people that we know in those seven centers of influence. It's one thing to pray over the business sphere. It's one thing to pray over arts, entertainment, and media. But when I start praying for Carmen, and when I start praying for Paul, when I start praying for the people I know in media by name, I'm very specific. And so you can ask your kids that that's a conversation you can have with another adult. Um, Hey, yeah, you know, we're, we're praying for education. Who do you know in a school? Do you know a teacher? Do you know a student? Let's pray over them, the, the hearts, uh, the, the feet that are walking around in those hallways and the hearts and the minds that are being impacted under those roofs. Um, and so we, we got a lot of, of stories about that and uh, relationships being healed, people that hadn't spoken to each other in years showing up at the same community for a time and um, their relationship being restored with forgiveness. And so grateful, grateful, grateful. This is, um, this needs to be every day. Mm. Yeah. The national day of prayer and the practice of prayer and praying for each other and praying with each other and lifting up the nation 
and lifting up the concerns um, of the country is something that we need to do every day. Would you um, be so kind, Kathy, uh, as to lead us in um, in a prayer today? Oh, I love it. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. I thank you that you loved us first, that you love us most. You love us uh, um, more than we could ever understand this side of heaven. But we pause to remember that we are loved that uh, there's nothing we can do that makes you stop loving us. And there's no sin that we have committed that is greater than your love and your power to forgive and to cleanse us. And so, Lord, I pray for anyone right now who thinks they're too far gone, they're too far away, they've done too much, that you could never forgive them, you could never love them. I pray that they would know that you do and you will, they would call out the name of the Lord, that you would be not just their Savior, but their Lord, the author of our days, the divine destiny already written, that we would get to walk in the good works that you've already prepared. Lord, I pray that um, all of us, the, the prayers, the millions of prayers, literally, that were lifted up last Thursday, Lord, that now we would lift up our eyes and our ears and we would start watching for your answers. That this wasn't just a penny that we dropped in a well and then we walk away and don't think about it or see it again, but that we talk to the creator of the universe, our creator, our source, our savior, our rest, our refuge. And we petitioned you we didn't demand, we didn't, we don't tell you what to do, but we ask. And so let us be watching for the answers. Let us give you praise and thanks and glory. Thank you for the hope that you are in our hearts and in our world. Thank you that we have access to you and that we can pray every day and every moment in a relationship with you. Thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Kathy, as always, thank you so much. Um, I look forward to, um, I, I don't know, seeing you soon. I hope our paths cross in, in ways other than digital. Absolutely. Love you, friend. Yeah. Love you, too. Thankful for technology today, the ability to be with you right where you are. Thank you for spending this time with me. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. All right, as we um, as we close this time uh, together during this hour and prepare ourselves to spend another hour together here on Mornings with Carmen. Um, I have a list of prayer concerns that maybe um, each of us could jot down in our in our hearts and minds or on a piece of paper. Um, the end of the college semester is upon us. Uh, kids are moving out of dorms right now, making those transitions to whatever they're doing this summer. Some of them um, headed home. They are different people than they were uh, when they headed off a year ago or even a semester ago. Mother's Day is this weekend. We talked yesterday about how complicated and often conflicted that is. Let's be praying um, in advance of that. Summer camps, summer sports, summer vacations, summer school, family reunions, travel mercies, desperate people, 
desperate places, desperate circumstances, lots of things to put on our list of prayer. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.